From the Financial Times in London, I'm Matthew Vincent and this is FT News. The collapse of Carillion, a British construction and services group that employed around 20,000 people in the UK, has sent shockwaves through British industry. An investigation is now underway into how investors or ministers failed to spot the warning signs at the group, which had been awarded government contracts ranging from building parts of the High Speed 2 rail link to serving 32,000 school meals a day. Britain's opposition Labour Party, meanwhile, has described the collapse as a watershed moment that proves the private sector should not be running swathes of Britain's public services. So, with me here to discuss the fallout are Jill Plimmer, Gemma Tetlow and Jim Pickard, who have been covering this story for the FT. Jill, let me come to you first of all. Tell us about Carillion. What kind of company is it and how did it get into such difficulty? Carillion was formed at the turn of the century from the breakup of the old Tarmac Road Laying Group and since then it's made lots of acquisitions buying the likes of John Molam, George Wimpey and Alfred McAlpine. It seems that none of these were properly integrated, that it also racked up a lot of debt along the way and then it ran into troubles with some problem contracts and essentially didn't have enough cash to keep paying staff and here we are today with the company collapsed. Indeed. And what services was it providing on behalf of the government or to the government and how will these now be maintained? It provides a range of services, construction on large hospitals, bridges, roads, a lot of work for Network Rail, the rail infrastructure company. It also does cleaning and maintenance services for hospitals and schools and provides school meals. And what's going to happen to these services now? So most of the service were subcontracted. I think Carillion actually subcontracted around 90% of its work. So in a lot of cases, subcontractors are simply keeping on working. And the government has now arranged for some of Carillion's biggest clients to keep paying, and therefore the subcontractors and their employees will keep getting paid as well. So the public sector contracts will keep going? Yes. And a lot of the private sector contracts as well? So in the case of the public sector, the government will underwrite the cost of continuing to pay employees. And in the case of private sector workers, it's agreed with those private sector companies, which include banks and energy companies and telecom companies, that they will continue with the contract. And that then allows the insolvency service to keep paying the workers. That's the situation now. But Gemma, what are the likely knock-on effects from Carillion's liquidation across the whole of the industry? Well, the outsourcing revolution since the early 1980s led to the rise of a number of companies like Carillion that specialise in providing all sorts of different services to the public sector. And for some of those, Carillion's demise is actually an opportunity because the government is looking for someone to step in and provide those services. But it's certainly not all good news for the rest of the sector. Some, like Galliford Try and Balfour Beatty, were in joint partnerships with Carillion and they could stand to lose money there. The fall of Carillion has also drawn much greater attention to the management practices and the business structures of these types of companies. And there are also concerns, which Jill hinted at, for subcontractors and smaller small and medium-sized enterprises that had done work for Carillion haven't necessarily been paid. And there are concerns that they may not get their money and that may affect their businesses as well. Are there suggestions that other companies doing pretty much the same sort of work as Carillion could suffer similar problems or cause similar problems in the future? 
Well, there are 28 other large outsourcing companies that the Cabinet Office deem to be strategically important because of how much public sector work they do. And between them, those companies get about £11 billion a year of public money. Most of those appear to be profitable businesses, but there are some, and today there's been a particular concern about Interserve, where there could be some difficulties. The company issued two profit warnings last year due to rising costs on some of their projects and rising costs of the minimum wage. The Cabinet Office is currently in direct talks with Interserve and monitoring those other strategically important companies to see whether there are any similar problems there. And what about the cost? To what extent will taxpayers, for example, end up having to foot some kind of bill for Carillion's collapse? The government refused to step in to bail out Carillion and keep it going as a going concern. So most of the costs are going to be borne by shareholders and creditors of Carillion as part of the liquidation. The main costs that the public sector faces are relating to trying to keep these public services running while Carillion is being wound up. As the government, as Jill said, has stepped in and say it will continue to pay the wages of employees working on those Carillion contracts. So it's those sorts of costs that the public sector are facing now. Jim, you hot-footed it over from Westminster. What is the political fallout going to be for the government? What's it already turning itself into? So there's already quite a frenzy going on. I mean, even as the talks were still going on Sunday night, Labour was ramping up the pressure and asking the key question, which was why did the government carry on giving contracts to Carillion even after its first profit warning on July the 10th and the second and third profit warnings in the autumn and they continued to accumulate half a dozen other contracts and it came up at Prime Minister's questions was the entire focus of the Corbyn May duelling, if you like. Theresa May made the defence, which is that profit warnings are not that abnormal. Profit warnings just mean that your profits are undershooting city expectations and it definitely doesn't mean that you're heading for disaster. By the third one, it's quite a bad sign. But Theresa May said, should we have withdrawn all contracts from them or prevented them bidding for other contracts, we'd basically be criticised for pushing them out of business. The other thing that didn't come up because it's a bit techie, but in defence of Chris Grayling, who is the Tory Transport Secretary, the contract on HS2 came on July 17th. So the Labour criticism was, you gave this enormous contract to this failing company in order to keep them afloat because they're your Tory chums. In reality, a contract like that would have been discussed for months and months. It had actually been signed before the profit warning. It was only announced on July the 17th. So to be fair to them, they're off the hook on that one. But I think it's a valid question about why they carried on giving them contracts all the way through to November. But just to rewind that slightly as well, Labour's not without a hypocrisy on this one either, because as Theresa May said at PMQs today, the Welsh government proceeded with a Carillion contract on some kind of A road in Wales. And also they announced last week that the Leeds City Council, which is run by Labour, was about to sign a Carillion contract. And luckily for them, they didn't. But it's it's not only uh, the Tories who didn't notice that Carillion was at death's door. And then the wider issue where things are getting really political and very interesting really is that whole issue of Labour doesn't like private companies providing public services. They hate it in the NHS. They hate it in the railways. They hate it pretty much everywhere. But unwinding it is more complicated than you might think. And John McDonnell, the Shadow Chancellor, back during the Labour Party conference in the autumn, made a big headline announcement in his speech that the Labour government would crack down. He, he made it sound as if they were going to unravel all PFI contracts. A few minutes later, when the actual press release came through from Labour, it was a lot more nuanced. It talked about 
trying to unwind some of them and talked about a general review. And that sense of caution reflects the fact that you're in a legal quagmire should you try and rip up every single one of these hundreds of very complicated, legally watertight PFI contracts. And has the uh, Labour Party said anything more specific since Carillion's liquidation about outsourcing more generally, or is it still taking this more nuanced view? Jeremy Corbyn at PMQs tried to hold up Carillion as a symbol of something rotten in the whole system, and he talked about issues with Chief 4S. Do you remember during the Olympics they were meant to provide security and it all went a bit wrong and the police had to step in? He talked about the East Coast mainline and the way that Stagecoach and Virgin's joint venture was allowed to walk away a couple of weeks ago and not pay the two billion due at the end of the franchise. And he talked about a couple of other examples as well, also in the world of welfare, where there are two very unpopular companies doing the welfare tests. And I think... There are these legitimate questions about whether PFI payments, certainly in the early schemes, were too generous to the private sector, the questions about whether Carillion was allowed to take out too much in dividends, and the question of the directors behaviour over their payments and whether they retrospectively changed the rules so they could keep their bonuses even if the company went bust. All of that does feed Corbyn's cause. And I think to look at this more widely, when you look at people who support Labour, especially young people, there's quite an appetite these days for state ownership versus private ownership. And they don't remember the battle days of British Rail. They look at the BBC and they look at the NHS and they think, ah, public ownership, good. Private ownership, maybe not so good. Just finally, do you think anything that the government has done in the last few days in responding to this crisis would have changed anyone's opinion? I often come back to where people get their news from these days and a lot of it comes from social media and there are a lot of people howling about these terrible Tories bailing out their city chums. I mean, even at the weekend when we at the FT and others were reporting that Carillion was at death's door and was about to go under, all these people were still decrying this bailout, oblivious to the fact that shareholders and banks were about to lose their shirts. So listening to Theresa May making nuanced cases for why this isn't all bad, I don't know how much of it's reaching the public and how much they're paying attention. Indeed. They should listen to this podcast, perhaps. But for now, Jim, Gemma and Jill, thank you very much indeed. And just to remind you that the FT is running a special series on privatisation, accompanied by a new FT Investigations podcast, which you can find from next week by searching for FT Investigations in your favourite podcast app. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.